busy as a spider spinning daydreams. I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing. I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud or a robin on the wing. But I feel so gay in a melancholy way that it might as well be spring. Oh, it might as well be spring. Excellent. Hey everyone, it's Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train episode 103. We are a short-lived TV show podcast. We cover TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually we will cover Super Train. We go go three shows at a time on here. And right this time we are starting a brand new old show on this episode. And uh, we're on the second episode of another brand new old show. And the fourth episode of another. So we're at the start of, you know, a 100 hit. And it was kind of like we started again. We're at the beginning again. And this episode we are going to start off, yes, our old friend. has She hasn't been here in a while. Amy the Conqueror is back. You remember Amy from... Uh, discussion of Voyagers, the, the great time travel TV show, and the very entertaining Erie, Indiana. This time, Amy will be joining me to discuss the 1970s live-action Planet of the Apes series. And we're going to begin with episode one of uh, Planet of the Apes first. And then uh, Mitchell Hadley, the great Mitchell Hadley, will be joining me for episode four of Search from 1972. And then we will be concluding with uh, the return of my, my sweet wife, Madeline, and myself talking about episode two of The Singing Detective Heat. And, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Let's dive right into the episode. Amy's back, everyone. Listen listen a bit of this. It's the Planet of the Apes theme. It's the theme for the TV show from the 70s, Planet of the Apes. The live action theme. Planet of the Apes, let's go to the planet. Where the apes live. Planet of the Apes. Yeah. I may have misplaced my DVD set. So I can't find the theme. But I'm pretty sure it goes like this. Planet of the Apes. I'll have it for you next time. Because this theme is starting to sound like another theme. I can't figure out which. Leave me alone. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. All right, time for another brand new old show, Planet of the Apes, the live action series, which ran from September to December 1974. There were 14 episodes, I believe. Today, Amy the Conqueror and myself are talking about Escape from Tomorrow, directed by Don Weiss. Written by Art Wallace, uh, originally aired September 13th, 1974. You might know Don Weiss best or Don Weiss best for directing two of the seven beach party films. He did Pajama Party and The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. Hey, hey, yeah. So um, in in this one, uh, in this episode, it's it's pretty much a Planet of the Apes variation, but less expansive. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say less expensive and less expansive, and it became less expansive or whatever I just said. Less expansive, less expensive. It's... um. Uh, Colonel Allen and Major Burke. Colonel Vernon, Major Burke, 
uh, they crash land with another guy on the ape world in their spaceship. The other guy dies, and these two go on the run with a young chimpanzee named Galen, played by Roddy McDowell, who may or may not be very Cornelius-like. And, um, yeah, this this episode is basically sets up the premise that they land there and the apes are after them because they're, they're humans who can talk and have a will of their own. And it sort of begins a fugitive-esque um, plotline. Uh, that will stretch throughout the series, although I could be lying because I've only seen this one. Eh, sounds right, though. So so that's the basic premise. Two astronauts from Earth and a chimpanzee named Galen are on the run from all the other apes. And I believe they're going to uh, the West Coast, like San Francisco, something like that. Why not? It's a pretty great place. You remember in The Last Chase with Lee Majors and Burgess Meredith? Where was he going? Yep, you got it. West Coast. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where you go if you're young and free and just dying to be. No, if you what's what's the houseboat horror song? Young and free and with shit. Okay, so yeah, yeah. So that's the first episode of Planet of the Apes. Uh, let us now dive right in. Aim the Conqueror is standing by. Escape from tomorrow. It's the Planet of the Apes theme. It's the theme for the TV show from the seventies, Planet of the Apes. All right, everyone, let's go ape. It's time. Planet of the Apes, the TV series. You heard my breakdown for the first episode. And we have here with us someone who hasn't been here for a while. But we love her. She's fantastic. She was here to talk uh, Voyagers, a show I quite adore. And then she came back to discuss Erie, Indiana, a show, a show which uh, I think we, we both of us quite liked. And, and this person is the wonderful, the majestic, the all-powerful Amy the Conqueror. Amy, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, Dan. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, I don't know if I can live up to that. Oh, you already have. You already have. If they if, <laughs> if they know you, um, how how have you been? And all this, it's been a year, like a year and a half, I think, since you've been on here. I know it's been a while. I've been, you know, okay, hanging in there, like everybody else, you yeah, know. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining me to discuss a show I'd never seen before, although I knew of, um, Planet oh. of the Apes. Um, I, I will say that, and, and this is this is this is just between you, me, and everybody listening. So, don't let uh, you know. Don't let anyone know about this. No, I'm kidding. Um, when we, I I, I want to say it was near the end of Voyagers, and I mentioned to you briefly something like, "Hey, if you ever want to come back on the show and you have any ideas, uh, just just let me know." And within like a minute, you said something like, "How about Planet of the Apes?" And I was like. <laughs> Ah, now we did Erie, Indiana, because um, I came across. I, I I I didn't find the show. The show was always there, but I, I discovered the show, and I was like, "Oh, this would be perfect to have Amy on to talk this because horror stuff." So, but I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad we finally got to Planet of the Apes. And what what we'll do since this is the first one, everybody. Um, I, I just I just want to ask you, um, do you have a, a Planet of the Apes or ape franchise a history with it? Had you seen the show before? Do you love the movies? What what uh, what's up? Um, well, I had obviously seen the movies when I was a kid, and I loved them. I actually didn't see this show until maybe ten, twelve years ago. Mm. Um, I didn't even know it existed. This <sighs> or the cartoon series. Yes. Um. Mm. And somebody gifted them to me, and I was, you know, like, wow, this is great. <laughs> mm. So um, that was my first introduction to the ser TV series. I had mm -hmm. obviously seen the movies, but, mm -hmm. yeah, I had no idea this even existed till I don't know, like I said, maybe 10 years ago. Wow. So I... that was the first time I watched it when I when I got the, the DVD set. 
I think I think I first heard about it. I want to say, although I don't know for certain, I could be lying, that a a guy who ran a theater company that my wife used to be a part of was like one of the main ape extras in this show. <laughs> I could I could be wrong on that, but um, I remember like many not many years ago. This is like a thousand years ago, maybe ten years ago or something. Like being at a party and he was there. We were talking about stuff he'd done, and he mentioned that he was like a featured extra or something on Planet of the Apes. But then we were interrupted before I could say you, you said what now. <laughs> uh, so, so I wasn't able to follow up on that, what seemed to be pretty amazing sentence. Um, yeah, yeah, I want to know more. I hear it was horrible in those costumes. <laughs> yes, I would imagine. Oh my God, I would imagine. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, yeah, my, 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 uh, my apes stuff is that, um, yeah, I grew up with the with the movies too, um, uh, and it, it's weird. The Planet of the Apes, I've seen. I don't know if I've seen it the most, but it's. I mean, it's the it's it's obviously it's I'm not going to go into the series here in in depth, but obviously it's a sort of big epic, classic sci-fi film, and the other four are lots of fun, and I I think the third, fourth, and fifth ones were ones that used to show on a, like a, a local UHF station when I was growing up, so it'd be like once every two months one of the Apes movies is on this Saturday afternoon, and and you know you, you catch <laughs> some of it, and you never and, and and apart from the first one I and and beneath I was always forgetting which ones were which. So it was always like I don't know which one this is, and we'd watch it. And it was it was great. Um, I haven't actually watched all five in a row in a very long time, but I, f- I feel like I should. Um, uh, yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever done. I, I yeah I, I actually I don't know if I've ever watched them in order either. I, I know I've seen them in various states. That sounds a little yeah. naughty. I've seen them in various states, folks, um, but uh, but um, but I have not. I, I, I've been meaning to. I, you know what, folks? Everybody, I, before we finish the discussions of all these episodes, there are fourteen, by the way. I will have watched all five in order. So that is my promise to you, the listeners. Um, but yeah, obviously, I knew how huge Planet of the Apes was, and I knew um, uh, that you know it had an animated series and a live action series, and I knew like if you look into like. Um, 70s like toys and and action figures and things the apes are everywhere you know and it it isn't until star wars in 77 that the apes kind of begin to vanish away but the apes are everywhere and they're and in some of the most entertaining stuff you could well maybe not the the most but if you're in need of entertainment go go like on ebay and look up um like knockoffs of apes planet of the apes there are all sorts of them out there you could probably google Planet of the Apes um, action figure knockoffs, and you'll find there's all sorts of hilarious stuff out there. Some of which looks exactly like Planet of the Apes stuff, and some of which looks nothing like it. But um, but it's obviously, I mean, if 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 you're getting a live action series and an animated series after a five movie run, um, that that were pretty. The the joy of the five movies is that they're surprisingly, like like the Back to the Future trilogy. You get to the end, and it's like okay and that's the end which which i like um and um uh but but yeah so 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 the series um now obviously it being only 14 episodes the series didn't do that great maybe we'll see why as we're talking about it i don't know no charlton heston no charlton heston that's where i'll start with Um, right yeah but uh, but let, let's let's dive right in let's go uh uh escape to tomorrow what what did you uh what do you what are your thoughts on this one amy I I thought it was a good introduction. Like if you 
you know, getting back into the series. And if you hadn't seen the series before, which I, why would you be watching it on TV if you hadn't seen it? But um, I, I feel like it's, you know, the sets look the same. The, you know, the costumes, the makeup, it just, it all seems like it's in the same universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good introduction. Um, I like the two um, main characters, mm-hmm. Peter and Alan. I think they work well together. Um, yeah, I mean, you have Roddy McDowell back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a good introduction. It was, you know, just like, I, it, you know, seemed like, especially if I was a kid when I watched it, I'm sure I would have loved it. You got nuts you know? for it, yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed it as an adult, obviously, because yeah. I recommended we do this. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know. That, that's my take on it. I think it was a good introduction, a good first episode to get you back in the universe, how they got there, mm-hmm. you know, what the Planet of the Apes is about. Basically. Yes. Yeah, and and um, and I, and I like uh, yeah, I, I was I was going to to say something which which you just said, which was um, they they do a nice job of reintroducing you to the universe because if you think about it, yeah, who really would be sitting down to watch a show called Planet of the Apes based on five big movies without like having some knowledge you know i couldn't right. imagine someone just sitting there for uh, an hour going i don't apes i don't what <laughs> i don't what I don't get it. it's, it's earth how is it earth i don't get it at all so so um uh i, I like the fact that it that there is a bit of uh, the 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 explanation that's needed to sort of give a quick recap is given to the two astronauts mm-hmm. and and it's it's nice i um it's it's I, th- I think it I think it develops the story nicely. It's not um, it's not a uh, I don't think it's a particularly fast paced episode, but it's no. sort of it's because because the apes I mean when the apes are drawing their guns and shooting and everything that goes quickly. But but you spend a lot of time with the apes and sort of getting into the rhythm of how they live and what their life is like, and um how kind of just depressing it sort of all seems to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And and I like I mean in in the end I mean the the concept behind the show sort of in the end is it's it's very much like your fugitive variation where the two astronauts whose names I wrote I wrote them down Burke and Peter Ver- and Alan? Yeah. oh yeah okay yeah I I wrote the last names I, I don't know the last <laughs> names I just know them as Peter and Alan Peter we're, and we're Alan. close we're tight yes. so. Yes, uh, Peter and Alan and Galen, who is um, uh, Roddy McDowell's uh, chimp character, uh, they they're on the run from all the other apes at the end. So it kind of, there's a fugitive, um, that's the basis of it. They're trying to obviously get themselves back to um, Earth in 1980. Uh, and I, th- I think it does a really nice job. I mean, I, I like I like the opening sequence where you see um, the great Royal Dano looking in very yes. bad shape, um, being chased up a tree by a young chimp and his dog. And as you're watching this scene, which probably looked very confusing if you hadn't seen Planet of the Apes before, <laughs> um, yeah. and then and then like they hear the, the the ship crash, and then it goes from there. So it's it's nicely. Um, it was actually I, th- I thought it was very nicely put together, and like I said, the the pace it it's never like it's never bullet paced, folks. You're not gonna you know it's it's not like a you you're not watching a you know Marvel Cinematic Universe movie or anything like that. It's got a much calmer pace, but it, it does everything it needs to do. It fills in the spaces. It gives you a lot of the society, and then and then at the end the um the guys with Galen go free to try to find try to find some way to find their way home, and I think um. I think it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty nice start. Yeah, the two astronauts are pretty good together, um, and uh, I will. 
I will say something I noticed in this, but I think I noticed a little more in the next episode. I'll bring up in the next episode about their their relationship between the two of them. Because I, I sort of get the feeling when I... Because there, there are three astronauts and one of them died. And I, I almost get the feeling that maybe the one who died was kind of like the one in between these two. Yeah. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, if you watch these two, there are times... Um, when they get a little very antagonistic and you wonder if the other guy, who I'm going to call Jones, but I forget what his yeah, name is. Yeah, I believe that was his name, Jones. Okay. <laughs> I, I get the feeling Jones would have been like the, um, like the, um, like the goofy guy in the 50s sci-fi films, you know, who always comes and says, now guys, come on, you know, think of Texas <laughs> or something, you know, just, just the big goofy guy who always making a wisecracking remark about, you know, um, and now that he's not there, you know, it's like, oh gosh, okay. Um, yeah, they gotta tolerate each other. Yeah, yes. So, um, uh, so uh, yeah, those, those are my basic thoughts on it. Uh, let's dive through our notes and just see whatever else you have. Just, just yell out. I'm gonna scan through mine here. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that they made Roddy McDowell's character pretty much Cornelius, but gave him a different name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you have not Doctor Zayas, but I think he's Chancellor Zayas now. I think so, yes, yes. Um, the one thing that struck me about him, and I don't know why this didn't strike me in the movie, I think because I feel like he was portrayed as older in the movie, But um, and it's going to sound really silly, but every time I looked at him, all I could think of was Paul Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it was the hair and the clothes. Yes. So yes. I was like, wow, he is just the um, – wow. Orangutan version of Paul Williams. <laughs> he is, he is. Oh. So I couldn't uh, stop thinking that, so I had to get that out there. Why are there so <laughs> and many? And I love Paul Williams. I wish he had sung a song exactly. or something. Then I would have been in, you know. So many songs about gorillas <laughs> and what's on the other side. Oh, and yeah. Maybe it would have lasted if they had Paul Williams <laughs> as they and true. he sang a song every time. And he did a song every episode. That would have been fantastic. Throwing a little something from Phantom of the Paradise. Had that been done yet? Oh. I forget what year this is. I think. <laughs> um, but oh, that would have been great. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was interesting seeing that because I had to. Um, um, one of the problems I would have was, always have with Doctor Zayas is I always think of the Simpsons and the musical version of Planet of the Apes <laughs> with Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas, Doctor. So whenever I see him, no matter how, I mean, I'm just writing notes down, but in the back of my mind, exactly. And and I I did actually have to look up because it has been a time since I've seen the, the the movies to make sure that they weren't the same. Well, 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 well Roddy McDowell wasn't the same character right. that he was, and I was like, oh no, of course, Cornelius. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. But he might as well be. They just changed his name. He yes, essentially exactly. is the same. And exactly. that's fine because, you know, who doesn't like Cornelius? Who doesn't like Roddy McDowell? So, exactly. I mean, come on. And they make, they, make, they make a point of his character in this um, having lots of relatives everywhere. So yes. there you go. There you go. You know, that's they, true. Um, uh, so um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, it, it was great. I do like Royal Dano. Who is the first uh, first person we see in this, and um, who helps? Who kind of hides the astronauts? Around longer. In... I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I said I wish he had hung around longer. Yes, yes. I wish he I'm had. I'm a fan of Royal Dan. Yeah, yeah. He he's really he's really great in it, and um, I like the the the, the that's the scene where um, uh, the scene where he has the um the the book 
like he he's in the bomb shelter and there were a bunch of books and he was like there were a bunch of books here but I couldn't read any of them so I had to burn them for for fire but there's one here that has pictures and it's kind of from like a hundred years before that has like pictures that are um, considered by ape society to be like well, not illegal. I don't know what you... Uh, I'm forgetting the word. Blasphemous. To, yes, that's the word. <laughs> yes, heretical. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and there's some, there's, there's, something, there's something kind of cool about having this character who shows up, um, is, is, has been part of the society all his life, is near the end of his life, and sort of the last thing he does is he helps these two guys before um, he gets killed. And there's kind of a... I don't know. I, I'd love it if somehow he came back Somehow he's not going to, but uh, but it would you know it would be it was kind of a neat. It's that, fine, that, you never know. <laughs> true, true, exactly, yeah. And then I, it's it's it, it's nice. Just there, there are some, uh, there are some moments like that, and some character moments and things, um, that I think are nice little touches throughout. That that I think show that um, uh, they they were thinking a little bit beyond, just sort of straightforward TV. At the time, it seems a little it seems a little more thought through. I think mm-hmm. some of this does, which which I really uh, which I really liked. Yeah, they're they're kind of um, touching on the same themes that the movie did. At least mm-hmm. the first movie, you know, at least in this episode they are with yes. you know humans and the apes and helping each other. Except for obviously in this one, the humans can speak and seem to have a little more um, freedom and yes, you know, but. That's that yeah. happens in the other movies too, but I I just always think of the first Planet yes. of the Apes movie. So I'm trying to think what else to say about this episode. I mean, there's other things I could say. I'm trying to keep this is me trying to keep it concise. Yeah, I'm struggling with myself because I can well, see a bunch a of pretty straightforward introduction episode. You know, it, here's it, the it, apes. This is, these are the characters. This is their mm-hmm. relationship. This is why they're here. This is yeah. what they're going to be doing for the next 14 episodes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're you're right. You're right. I'm trying to. It's yeah. It, it really is. If if you've if you've if you're familiar with movies, or maybe even if not, if you're not familiar with the movies, uh, and again, why would you be watching this? Um, but uh, it it does set up its world nicely, and there is the um, and you you see the reasoning behind why like the apes are as sort of scared of like these humans showing up as like the little grenades that Dr. Zaius has that they took from the um the previous yes. humans that were there and, and such and so it's a it's it's a really nice um setup of yeah this world and it it does like you said at the beginning it brings you back into this universe and sets you up for a whole new series of ape ape related adventures we're going bananas. No, I, I'll edit that out. No, I, no one needs to say that. Maybe, maybe they do. Um, but yeah, so I guess I guess that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it really is like it's just a straightforward uh, setup for it. Did you have anything else on this one, Amy? I think I think I'm good. Uh, no, I mean, I did um, wonder where if it was where it was set in um, the U.S. because obviously mm. it was in the U.S. But because. Um, the last one was on the east coast this one seems to be on the west coast yes. so they mix that up a little so you know <laughs> yeah. yeah you figure if they yeah yeah this is another and you you wonder how many like ships from like our time hit that time warp and wound up around right. here you know it's like cuz obviously <laughs> yes yes and there there is a point where like Zeus says early on something like uh when they mention the these astronauts have arrived he says something like you know 
uh, like this isn't the first time or this has happened before and i thought he was referring maybe to charlton heston right uh, but he's not he's referring to another group of humans who arrived as, as far as i could tell they're all there they're you know they're all they're causing trouble <laughs> um so, uh, so the, yeah, that's the first episode of Planet of the Apes. We're all set up now. Um, our, our gang, the two humans, and and their and their chimp friend are on the run, uh, trying to get to um, wherever it is they're trying to get to. And I, and I will say the locations for this um, episode, um, they're all sort of in uh, the uh, Santa Monica Mountains area in L.A., not too far from where I am. And I think I've been at least I've done extra work at least once or twice there. And you know them. I think they were used in a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies. You know them from a lot of things. If I remember correctly, MASH, not just the movie, but the TV show, a lot of the exteriors right. were shot there. So, yeah, so that's 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 the beginning. The adventure has begun. And, uh, <laughs> Amy, if you don't have anything else on this one, um, where can we find you online? What, do you, what are you up to? Oh, you know, same old, same old watching horror movies. You can yeah, find I, me on Instagram and what I'm watching at... Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. All right. Thank you again for joining me for this. Let's see. Let's see where they go. Next up is the gladiators. Oh boy. This should be fun. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, so that's, uh, that, that was, uh, that was Planet of the Apes episode one, everyone. And, um, uh, and now listen to this. Search episode four, Moonrock. In this episode, Lockwood is back, and he is after a stolen Moonrock. It's, you know, very important, and he goes quite some distance, quite some way, in order to try to get back the Moonrock. I, I won't go too in-depth here, because we go pretty in-depth when we talk about it, but that's that's the mission for this episode. Listen to this. Moonrock. Now I'm a rock hound. Lockwood is back. Our Hugh O'Brien, our uh, the first of our um, the first of our probe agents who was in the Probe TV movie, introduced us to the world of of uh, world securities, the world of world securities. I could have I could have phrased that better. Shut up, world securities. Um, and he's back. And this is another Leslie. This is the fourth regular episode written by Leslie Stevens. And he also wrote Probe. So this is so far. It's all been Leslie Stevens kind of. Um, giving us all these episodes, which has been cool to see uh, the creator, producer, um, vision. And so so with this being the first in the series return of one of the main characters after Grover and Bianco, I would like to introduce you to my favorite probe agent, M. Hadley. We call him Mitchell. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you, Dan? Doing okay. Doing okay. I'm, I'm interested. So... I'm interested to hear what you think. Now we don't have to. We well, certainly we'll talk about Lockwood, but but in this one we don't have to do what we did in the last two, which is introduce ourselves to the character. You guys know Lockwood. We've already talked about him. He's sort of like he's very James Bond-ish, but he's kind of like he's also kind of like um, if your uncle was James Bond, because he's got like 
dad jokes that he'll throw out and stuff like that. And um, uh, so, but but so I, I guess we'll. So, so I'll, I'll throw this to you, Mitchell. Um, what did you think of? I, I guess we'll just do this for this one, and then I'll stop saying this. But um, what did you think of the return of Lockwood, or and and or the episode Moonrock in general? Well, I think that with with one exception, I really enjoyed it, and we'll get to the exception later down the line. Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy this part of it. It just left me a little puzzled. But uh, we'll leave the listeners in suspense on that for a minute. The um, it, it was nice to see Hugh, Hugh O'Brien back. He's a uh, he's a fun guy. He's good to watch. Uh, he it it. <laughs> It it is it is going to be fun now to watch Lockwood and compare him to the others. And one of the things you notice right offhand is that this is this is a really important case. The titular Moonrock that they have is missing, and this is like double A double priority. And so they're calling in their their boy Hugh O'Brien, uh, and I it, which which suggests to me, and we may have discussed this at the very beginning, but this suggests to me that if Lockwood is not the chief probe, he's certainly very high up the ladder, and uh, they call him in to find out what happened to the Rock, and uh, you know I don't know how I don't know how old most of our listeners are if they appreciate the mystique about the moon rocks mm. but when right after when apollo 11 landed on the moon and they brought the moon rocks back with them and every subsequent manned trip to the moon did so as well and i know even some unmanned trips have done that but this mystique about a moon rock seeing a chunk of well, the moon is not a planet, but it, for those purposes, the chunk of another planet. Uh, and I've seen one, uh, a couple of the moon rocks in different uh, museums, and you can't get beyond the fact that this is something truly alien. And so in 1972, this is, this is not only topical, but when somebody is saying that the moon rock the, in question is missing, that's a big deal. And you can easily see how something like this could get probe into a lot of hot water. You know, the government is saying, we gave you guys this extraordinary special yes. moon rock that is really carbon, diamonds, and you lost it. <laughs> Not a good look. And so it's a, it's a great premise right off the bat. Yes. And you introduce... Yet another fine supporting cast member, Joanne Flug, as yes. uh, as the doctor whom uh, whom Lockwood is working with. She's actually supposed to be a uh, his liaison to the man who was the last one to see the moon rock, but she quickly becomes his sidekick in all of this, and the chemistry is instant. And um, speaking of that. We don't have Angel Tompkins in this episode. Uh, yeah, but, oh, it's interesting. Yes, yes. Yeah. But they they do have a young lady in in probe control who is supposed to be her sister. I think it is, isn't it? 
That sounds right. Or yeah, yeah someone either, like Miss Milligan. Her, or, yes. Yeah, they like yeah. they are related, and so she has just come into probe control, and she is taking uh, the place at reading out the medical data. And she does fine in this as it goes along, but there's some genuine humor at first with this because, first of all, she's kind of awestruck to be talking to the famous Lockwood, whom she has heard so much about. Mm-hmm. Especially all of these medical readings that uh, he's that that, <laughs> that always giving him grief about during those episodes, and now uh, she gets to talk with him uh, herself. And there there are some scenes where she's she's fumbling around, where's the mic, all this kind of stuff, and and uh, Cameron is being very patient with her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 right there, and uh, and then she's giving him the medical information, and then she starts kind of creating the story behind the medical information. He's he's kind of saying, yes, well, we don't need to have that extensive a report. <laughs> yes. here. Stick, and, stick to the moon rock, yes, please. Yes. Stick to the moon rock. And there's a yep. there's a joke involving chicken soup. Yes. That, uh, <laughs> That that I'm not sure if she gets that or not, but it chicken soup as a metaphor for we'll leave it to the imagination yes. of the yes. listeners. They yes. will understand though. Um, but it's it it's a uh, it's very witty, and uh, I it it's not played as stupid humor, but it it's very witty, and it is also a nice link to remind us that uh, that uh, Angel will hopefully be back she's just under the weather right now and that's why she's not in on this mission it also suggests to me and i don't know if you had this uh feeling i know you have seen all of these but it suggested to me that she may be working primarily with lockwood's team and i don't know if that's the case there may be something in a later episode that will conclusively show that that is not the case but at least at this point in the series it kind of suggests that but be that as it may it's a nice it's a nice scene and it um introduces us to a uh, an interesting story where is the rock yes yeah i i think the thing i like about is i think it's miss milligan is Aunt, Aunt Prentice plays her, Paula Prentice's yes. sister, uh-huh. yes. And the thing I like about it is <laughs> she's her character who keeps bringing up, um, I just want to bring up, I don't know if I should bring this up or not. <laughs> it was great because she's almost annoying, but the joy of it is she's clearly, because she says, oh, in training it wasn't like this. So she's clearly like, this is her first um, assignment yeah. doing this and the great thing is we saw Cameron Burgess Meredith's character with Doug McClurg with Grover in the last one kind of leading him through at certain points and this it's it's kind of the same way where he's like you know he's she's like saying oh his adrenaline's through the roof oh <laughs> and and Cameron's like that's great Miss Milligan thank you so much but we gotta you know, we gotta focus on that that moon rock yeah. <laughs> and the thing I like about him is he's a good boss he is and it's, he's not patronizing to her he's no. in a sense paying her this high compliment you're you're a member of the team that we're depending on yes give us yes. the data we know that you have 
Yes, and he doesn't. He he says yes. I I understand that you know this is you're 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 tuned into the 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 body chemistry, the everything of this this guy, and uh, and can sort of reach out to the people around him. And if you've only been doing it in um in in sort of simulations, actually having it happen must be a bit of a jolt, and um. And so he's never like you, you see. Occasionally on his face, there's a bit of a okay. Maybe this wasn't the one for this. Maybe, maybe should she should have she should have come up on the like a maybe a hot dog stand went missing, you know, in Van Nuys or something like that, you know. But but she's here and she's helping, and and it it really is it it it's um is because she knows what she's doing. She, which yeah. which is the good thing. She she is she is not she is not like oh throwing papers all over something like, you know like Jane Fonda in nine to five not being able to use the copier or something mm-hmm. like that. You know she she knows what she's doing. She is just I th- I think it's one of those things where like and this is always my thing like whenever I do an, an office job whenever people give you like written instructions on how to do a procedure to me those are almost always useless. Because someone else has written them, and they always add stuff that will take you off on tangents that you don't need to go on. Yes, yes. And so it'll be like, okay, so what you want to do is you want to, you hit a okay, and then hit on the check mark, go to the check mark, and then you go here, and you want to bring up this fact. Uh, when you bring up this fact, however, keep in mind that you may need to go, and then suddenly you get three pages that go on a tangent that mean nothing. So you need to so so to me it's like when you're learning to me I always have to learn and and that's how kind of she's learning she's there she's got her information she's got it all in front of her and it's overwhelming and luckily she has a boss who is able to say to her that is that can be important but when you know um Hugh O'Brien is standing you know if you know it's like if I was standing in a um an elevator with Joanne Flug I would be like yeah so mm-hmm. so so i understand you know and if stephanie powers was in there too maybe i don't know i don't know what would happen but it would be fantastic and i'd probably have adrenaline trouble if you'll pardon I, me i think you're you're not alone in that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's a really lovely moment because um um it uh, what, what you could look at it if you're if you're strictly looking at the plot, you could look at it as maybe like oh, that's a little filler or something. But because it's Leslie Stevens who created the show, writing it, I think it's just extra color, sort of around everything. It's gi- giving giving these people sitting in this dark, multi-tiered room in this kind of undefined space a little more character, and I think well, it's really it- nice. There are a couple of really nice scenes, light scenes in this uh, mm-hmm. in this episode that I, I liked a lot, and they they all come from the uh, uh, the linear plot. The um, so the bad guy has escaped with the moon rock, and uh, uh, Lockwood and uh, Doctor Trapnell, Joanne Flug, have to track him down. And he takes a jet over to. Uh, someplace in uh, in uh, the Middle East or Asia. I don't know if they were ever specific about it, although I believe they that say, they... Is it some kind of... They say Asia Minor, which yeah. I know was the... is. It, forgive me, I believe that... What, what they used to call like the Asian a- a- area in Turkey. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think that's exactly where they went. But that I think that's the definition of what Asia Minor is. But I I was a little vague on it. Well, they it turns out to be a um, a, a route that only has is serviced once a week by commercial air. Yes. And and uh, Lockwood finds out that the only way that they can catch up to him is to charter. A 747. It's the only plane yes. available, <laughs> and um, and and a uh, Cameron. That there, there's there is a question about this. It turns out it would take too long for them to have one of their own probe planes mm-hmm. get him. So he's using his judgment, and so they ask him how he's going to pay for this, and he pulls out his credit card, yes. and he picks up the phone. And the next thing we know, you've got um, Ford Rainey, who plays Dr. Barnett, who is the, if he's not the, I think he's what this. He's the boss. He's the yeah, head executive. The chairman. Uh, yeah, yeah, the chairman of, of, and, of uh, yes, yes. And apparently, because he's, so he's calling Cameron to find out what this is all about, which means, although you don't see it, Lockwood called him for approval on the charge. <laughs> he, he called the boss directly with, to get approval on it, and he says, you know, is this really necessary? And uh, Cam so well, sir, you know, we don't, we don't want to lose this. Yes. We do want to get this rock back, and he, all right, all right, and and you can't imagine how much this is going to cost. Yes, but yes. so they're off on a plane, and they're the only. It, it's a it's a jumbo jet with just two people as passengers, yes. but they still have it fully staffed, and they have the combo up in the luxury part <laughs> dun, of it. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. They're playing the search theme. It's they're doing beautiful. like a bossa nova <laughs> search theme. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, they're drinking some champagne and dancing and canoodling a little bit because of that instant chemistry. And your your first instant reaction is get serious here. But on the other hand, this is what probably a seven eight hour flight maybe. There's nothing he can do. Uh, yes. They they're keeping track because the bad guy stole Hugh O'Brien's uh, scanner, device, yeah. scanner. Yeah. so they know where the where the rock is. There's nothing he can do for hours. Might as well enjoy it. Uh, when are you going to yes. have the chance to have a chartered 747 for two? It's it's a very nice nice bit of humor in there, and it again. Although the idea of chartering a 747 may seem outrageous, given that they have done that, if you accept the premise that you have to charter a 747, everything else falls right into place. They're all on the, the all the, the the staff is on the plane because of union, you know, they've got to uh, staff, full, yep, they've got to staff yep. it. And why not do this kind of thing? Because there isn't anything else to do. And I think yes. I think Lockwood clearly comes from the school that there's no sense worrying about something I can't you control. Can't. Yes, exactly. It makes him a great agent. And so it's a it's a uh, it's a charming scene, and it it comes back again. Uh, I'll mention it now that at the end, at the end, of course, they have the return flight, except he diverts the plane to Acapulco 
And uh, yes, yes, and yeah, Cameron's well, saying, "I'm hey. going to take this out of your salary. <laughs> you're you're yes. going to you, you're never going to pay it off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you're going to be living off of food stamps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it you you can tell he's not really serious about it. But yes. What you know, he you can see him taking his headset off at the end of this and thinking, "What am I going to do with that boy?" Yes, and you know that they've been through so many adventures together mm-hmm. that that this this is akin to all those movies, all those spy movies that end with oh, all those spy movies that begin with uh, we need you to come down here immediately. Wait a minute, I just started a two week vacation. To me, this is akin to all those sort of spy movies and things. And I was going to say Double Agent 73 with Chesty Morgan, but that's not a good one to use. But there's so many of them where uh, – but that might be the best one to use because that was made around this time. Uh, but there are so many where it's like, uh, we need you to come in on this case right now and save save the world. What are you talking about? I just started a two-week vacation. You you come yes. in and do this. Well, And, and that's sort of what it is where, where – um, where Lockwood has just he hasn't saved the world and in the end when you get to the the sort of ending it's kind of like oh okay it's uh, but but it's sort of like he's like wait a minute i want my two week vacation that you never give me mm-hmm. i've got a i've got a flipping 747 <laughs> and we're go- i'm taking that vacation to me the the reason why i love this episode is because it's very james bond Yes, and I'll, I'll I'll say what I mean by that in a moment. But uh, did you think, and maybe it was just me, the, the watching the two of them sitting in the seven forty seven with everyone taking care of them? All I could think of was the great season one Beverly Hillbillies episode where they go to Bug Tussle <laughs> and Mister Drysdale gets them the plane and they don't know what a plane is, so that and they think it's a bus. And it's just the four, the entire plane, the, the, the crew is just taking care of them, and they're just sitting there, there's Granny, there's Jethro, there's Ellie Mae, there's Jed, and when, like, the plane leaves the ground, like, Granny almost has a heart attack, and when they start playing a movie on a screen where, like, uh, Indians are rushing towards the camera because they're showing a Western, Granny wants to take off running, and they don't understand how any of it works, and it's like, if you want to see the way, you know, like, a, a hillbilly deals with being able to charter their own plane. And the thing with Jed at that time, you know, that was like nothing for Jed. Jed never understood how much money he had. Um, but, uh, but, but the joy is the joy I love of this is Lockwood, you know, and all of them know exactly how much this is costing, but they also know that the moon rock, um, finding out where the moon rock is and getting it back is kind of more important than, the cost. Yeah, they of stand this. to lose a lot if, uh, if yes. it becomes known that they lost a moon rock. And yes. so, you know, then there, there's this other, it's continuing the Bond theme for just a minute. There's mm-hmm. this scene then when the plane lands and they have to get that part of it, they're going to be giving him uh, a replacement scanner. And there yes, was, sir. what you know, what I had really wanted to see was Doug McClure. Walk in with the scanner, hand it to him, and leave. He never has a piece yes. of dialogue. He's on the screen for five so, seconds. Like, that would like, have been wonderful. Like like Bourbon Street Beat, when the guys would just show up randomly in an yeah. episode for a couple minutes and just help out and then be gone. 
kind of thing. Yeah, I, oh. I thought that would have been hilarious if he had just shown up there. But instead, you have another attractive woman mm-hmm. who obviously uh, is making a play for Lockwood, sure. and she's got all of the paperwork, and it's like, Oh dear, we didn't know that Dr. Trapnell was a female. That means her entry uh, papers won't work, but yours will be just well, fine. Yes. <laughs> and to yeah. you know, to um, to his cre- internal credit, you know, he slips some money across there, yes. and the uh, guy in customs gets her through. But you notice that the other woman never talks to her and she yes, says and never yeah and here's your package mr lockwood and i hope you enjoy your trip and it is a pleasure meeting you never yeah never quite acknowledges her no. although she's right there i, li- I like that that's yeah and yeah that's, that's, that's a... the that's the kind of thing that would happen to james bond yes it's never exactly. happened to me but it would happen to it probably it's, happens to Bond all the time. It's happened to me twice, but that was mainly by accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I um the the thing um I I will say yeah the 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 episode itself of the of the first four this isn't my favorite of the four. Agreed. Um, but I do I do enjoy it. Yes. The, fir- the first half is assembling what's going on, what's happening, and then the fight with the guy and the chase with the guy, and then he gets on the plane. Then you have the 747 section, and then you have the section in Asia Minor. Which is the- good. Which is good, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think though, I, I think, though, the, 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 and you've already said, it, I think the thing that my favorite thing about this episode is the 747 sequence. Yes. I love, I love the concept that it's like, Okay, his plane took off an hour ago. It's I'm making this up here. It's going to take ten hours to get there. We're chartering a seven forty seven. It'll take ten hours to get there. So we'll be a half an hour behind him or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that that's one of the things. That's one of the things I do in my life is like, like if I know like tomorrow I have to fall off a bridge. That doesn't happen. I was just making that up. Let's say tomorrow something has to happen that I'm I'm scared of or I, I, I'm worried about. Well, that ain't happening in the next six hours. So how about for the next six hours? Let's enjoy ourselves. And that's why I love this sequence. Because to me it is very Bond-like. That we're in one location and then suddenly mm-hmm. he's traveling halfway around the world. You know, and it's like, it's... It's like the world's slowest chase, even though they're going really fast, <laughs> because you can't catch up with them. I mean, one of the things ah, the, yep. the plays are going, you know. One of the things that impresses me about Lockwood is uh, again the confidence, the self-assuredness that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, one because. This is a situation, as you say, if you've got something you're worried about and there's nothing you can do about it, it doesn't do any good to worry. Lockwood is a man who has, you can tell over the years, given himself permission to enjoy a situation. Yes. Sometimes if you're under great stress or if you know something is going to happen, you feel guilty about it enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he has given himself permission to enjoy the moment. Yes, and that's yes. one of the reasons why he's so successful. That, yeah, and and it's like when when he's 
when he's saying, well, what can we have? We don't have anything. We got a 747. We'll take that. He, he isn't like, oh, we'll take that. He's like, no, we'll take that because we need to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and then after it's done, he probably had a thought like, hey, this is going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be a nice night. Yeah. And, and I got Joanne uh, Flug here, and we're going to have a lovely evening. And um, uh, but but I do. It's it's funny because um, yeah, like I kind of said, like I I I like the episode. It is not is not my favorite of the four, but that sequence with the seven forty seven is is to me sort of so almost out of nowhere. Like the first time I watched this, I had no idea. That suddenly there was going to be this five six minute sequence where they're just hanging out on a seven forty seven, drinking champagne, having little canapes. You know the stewardesses are coming by. How are you? How are you? Are you all right? You know the band is playing. <laughs> you know, and I, I wonder. I do wonder too if um, because somewhere in there, I think right before they land, there's a commercial break. So I'm wondering because this is this is the thing I've been thinking about lately. Um, commercial breaks in shows uh, like this and like TV movies and things like how they would um, have affected you when you watched it. So I've only mm. watched this. I've only watched this as 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 is. No commercials. However, search always has the search logo come up to give me right. the commercial break. So like you see them on the um, you see them in the 747. You see them having these lovely, yummy-looking things. You see them having champagne. They dance around. And then it goes to commercial break. And I would love to just know sort of the... Th- well, one, I'd love to know what commercial you put after that. I mean, if it was like, you know, Midas, you know, or Mufflers or something, that would have probably ruined it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but maybe yeah if that it was breaks for the a- mood. Maybe it was for a wine, even if it was for like a reuniti or something like that. You know, you would have still maybe kept the mood, you know. It's um, a pleasant thought. Yeah, just to think like if people sitting there, like if you're sitting there and you know your wife's next to you or your ma's next or whoever, you know, it goes to that and you like, you kind of look over and the commercial's starting like, wow, think about that. A 747 all to yourself. And then you think about that for a few minutes and then the show comes back on, and they're getting off the 747. And I wonder if the commercial break would have um, uh, would have given some people sort of um, given them sort of extra time in their mind on yeah. the 747. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like what would, oh what, wow, honey, what would we have done in a situation? Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. Like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I never, I didn't think it was going to do that. I don't know if they said it was so cool. I don't, you know. But but you know, I I, I just wonder if like. People would have been to, been able to extend that in their mind mm-hmm. during like the break, and I guess, like I said, too, depend if like the commercials were all for like aftershave, maybe it would have broken the, you know, the the like like Ronald McDonald was suddenly on the screen, it may have broken the um the feel of it, but but there's got to be a thing where you turn you like, honey, hey, wow, think about that, you know, and it's just like, I don't know, I I I like that thought, I I don't um uh. You know, I don't know if that would have been something that would happen or not, but um, in the, within the commercials, that's that's going to be a thing. I next year on Adventure Super Train, that's going to be a thing. What do you think when the commercial came out? Yeah. What people thought, but I like that thought that yeah. people would have had a few extra minutes, maybe even put themselves in that space 
because it's fun. Because, you know, when it's a cliffhanger and you're like, oh, my God, he's been beaten up. Is he dead? You know, you like, who cares what commercial comes on? Mm-hmm. But but when they're going to 747 and they're dancing and champagne and da-da-da-da-da-da, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'd like to be there for a few minutes. You know, so let me let me be there for a few minutes. So I think I don't that's know, that, good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that happened, but maybe it did. I don't know. It would be nice to see what the original commercials were. Yeah, that, that I, I would like to see that. Yeah, um, it's funny. Yeah, when, when, yeah, when I was a kid, when I used to tape all sorts of shows on Beta and VHS in the eighties, I would always take out the commercials. Now I would go back to myself and request that I leave them in. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. Yeah, just just to, just to, just to see. I, I I would like to bring up. Um, Oh, no, I kind of already did the bondiness of it, but I can bring up a little bit. What else do you have on this one? And then I'll just do a little more Bond chat, and we'll wrap it up. Well, the the, the um, thing I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, mm-hmm. episode about how uh, there was something I did wasn't really thrilled with, and, the, and it's the the ending. And I'm my question is, and I suppose I could have looked this up rather than just speculating, but... You've got a moon rock that is made out of carbon, which means it's it's essentially, a, I think somebody said it's a 2,000-carat diamond. What is that? Is that actually going to crumble to dust mm. by getting whacked around? And if it is, um, aren't you going to know that? Yes. Because I kept thinking to myself, I shouldn't say I kept thinking, we're talking about maybe... 45 second period when sure. when um, Lockwood dumps out the contents of the bag because he's trying to get through customs on the way back and get past the, the regime's bad guys and uh, he he I can't tell first of all whether he knows what's in the bag what the what's happened in yes, the bag or not yes. but if I kept thinking that he pours it all out the dust whatever you've got pumice and um they let him go through because it's essentially worthless and uh she would say something like what was that all about and he he would say never mind just don't open your purse until we get back on the plane and it would have turned <laughs> yes. out that the rock was in there but it was ending my wife first asked well does that mean that the rock was a fake Mm. Um, they don't. They uh, since they didn't explain it, I would assume that it was not. And yet, it just seemed to me a little implausible that it would either disintegrate like that uh, into dust, or that it would do so, and that you would be carrying the bag around, still thinking it was the rock. So the only thing I can conclude is that they had the the that that Lockwood must have known that, but. Mm. If that's the case, why did they build everything up to the point where he was offering fantastic sums of money to bribe his way through the line? That that part just didn't quite fit. And I didn't know if you that, had any thoughts on that. That that was I I actually um I actually had sort of the same problem. I uh, when when they reveal that oh it's pumice and you look at it going is it what's going on and I I thought as as with you I thought there was maybe he had a trick up his sleeve. But it was more like, you know what? We did all this, and it turned out to be worthless. And you're like, no, yeah. no, don't do that. No, no, that doesn't quite work. I don't know. It feels slightly off, like something 
something got um, missed or something got lost or, or something in there. I, I don't, I, I don't, I've, I've seen this episode maybe five or six times now, and every time it gets to that point, I kind of always forget that that happens. And then when that happens, I'm like, oh, why does that happen? And I don't know, it doesn't feel right to me. It feels like he should pull a bit of a switcheroo and they should get yeah. the rock back. Because because part of it, too, is like when he decides to go to Acapulco, he's like, he doesn't have the rock. He, he's got nothing. So, and, so how, it's, uh, and, and it does kind of come back that that rock had been entrusted to them. And yes, they got it back, yes. but it got destroyed in the process. Unless, so unless again, that it wound up in the... In the um, shape that it needed to be which was that it had been broken up and you had a sack full of diamonds which I don't know if that looks like pumice or not yeah yeah I um I I I think maybe I should have looked something up regarding <laughs> pumice and diamonds <laughs> or something but but it does it's it's funny because when they get to the ending um it, it is one of those endings where it's like oh it it crumbled up and it's worthless oh gosh and then the episode ends but at the same time it's like wait a minute what and it's it's not it's it's kind of not satisfying as it's not really satisfying is yeah. kind of what it is and i and i i do wonder if there's something i'm missing um there's something i don't understand about what's what's going on with the ending there because you that just doesn't seem like um that doesn't seem like a good ending to me. And Leslie Stevens, the, the stories have been so strong that I'm, I'm wondering if I, I blame myself for not liking the ending rather than him. I know what you mean. Yes. Mm. Just, just because he, <clears throat> just because the previous episodes have been strong and have carried me through. When I see something like this, my first thought is I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. R rather than um, rather than um, that was maybe a bit of a cop out, and I I don't honestly I don't and I, you know what Mitchell I don't know where to go to find out uh, what the answer to that should be. <laughs> well, if we do find out uh, the answer, we will explain it in a future episode. We will. Yes, we will. That and that would be awesome. So let me um, yeah, this is I mean I th I think it's um, I I, th I think it's it's. We're only four four episodes in. This is this isn't this is my favorite of the four. I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think it kind of does something tricky where the um, that seven forty seven scene is so fun that it's kind of like gosh, I w <laughs> I almost wish the rest of the episode could suddenly become a gorgeous musical and we could all just be dancing around the seven forty seven for twenty minutes. It doesn't. They go into a cave. They go into a cave which suspiciously looks like Bronson Caverns in Los Angeles in Griffith Park. You know, if you've seen Robot Monster, you yes. know, um it, it looks very much like that. Um and uh and it it's it's funny, it's very much an episode of sort of two halves with a middle. And the first half is learning all the stuff. The second, the the, the second half is going into the cave, and the middle is the seven forty seven, um, which to me makes it very Bond like because so many Bond films will be like he'll go to like he'll go to this area and he'll learn he'll go to Switzerland and find out one thing. Then he's in Venice. Then he's in Peru. That you know, and it's just like that's the way the Bond films work. And so they, but they have those big action scenes that carry you on. 
Whereas this is a much more inexpensive TV show, which doesn't quite do that. But I think it, I think it carries you through. If the ending's a bit of a dud, I'll let it go just because Lockwood got his vacation and he yes. got it with Joanne Flug and. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. No, there is no percentage there. <laughs> yes, exactly, precisely. So do you have anything else on this one, Mitchell? Or um... Um, The last thing I'll say about yes. this is uh, a couple of quick notes on uh, Burgess Meredith's Cameron yes. character. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed now that we've been through these episodes is how um, he is constantly fiddling with the position of his uh, microphone and if you haven't yes, seen yes. the series it's a lot like what you'd see with an air traffic controller and I uh, since they obviously could have made the thing comfortable uh, for him if he was uncomfortable I don't think that he is doing that uh, personally I'm sure that it's part of his character and I wonder if he didn't um, study or talk to or at least discover that that is a common gesture that somebody's making when they're talking with a headset or with a microphone like that, that you do fiddle with it to get it close by. Whatever it is, it's a very human touch, and uh, it's it's something that I like a lot uh, when he does it, just because it adds yes. a little more depth to the character. Uh, the other thing is um, that uh, I don't think that they have... I don't know if they've ever mentioned his full name in this series, but if you look on... Uh, uh, Wikipedia, his uh, full name is VCR Cameron, and I just wondered if mm. they had made this 20 years later, if they would have called him <laughs> DVR Cameron. Yes, but, yeah. <laughs> and DVD Cameron. Yes. Yeah. The, and the last, thing, the last thing is that there is a gesture that Hugh O'Brien makes early in this episode where he, he rubs his uh, under his nose with his uh, forefinger. And if you ever watch the opening credits to The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, he makes precisely the same gesture oh, wow. in those credits. And so I wonder again if this is a Hugh O'Brien gesture. Oh, it's uh, that's just. Yeah, just a little thing, but it, I, I was struck by how it was almost the identical gesture uh -huh. he does there. Or maybe Lockwood is meant to be a um, uh, ancestor of well, Wyatt in some way. Wyatt Earp was uh, about as uh, you know straight an arrow as they come. So, mm -hmm. hmm. yeah, that's that's I I think I think the thing at the end of the day is that um, Burgess Meredith spent this entire series just sitting in a chair mm -hmm. in front of a big fake computer. And he's fantastic. Yeah. So that shows yes, how good <laughs> that shows how good Burgess Meredith is. He is compelling when you see him, and he is large and in charge in the midst of all these people doing all this stuff. Um, and I will just wrap up with um, I forget. I actually, I I forget if it was this episode or the previous one, but I did want to say there's because I, I thought it was this episode where um. Um, at one point, Cameron says to one of the the probe employees, um, "Oh, uh, zoom in on that." And the employee says, "Oh, I don't have the telephoto lens today. He does." 
and then it yeah. goes to another guy, and he said, yes, I have it here. I forget if it was this episode or the previous one, but I like the fact that, um, you know, like, today I have the telescopic lens, and I'm looking at things in detail. Uh, <laughs> he does tomorrow, so remember that, please. And that, that was kind of a nice moment, but I, I, I think it was in this episode. I could be wrong. Well, and that um, reminds me of one th- last thing that I wanted to uh-huh. mention, and I said this in our last episode that there, that I was I was going to mention this, that when, when they're making their escape, uh, he gets on to he's talking to Cameron and he says there's one more thing I need and Cameron having anticipated that says your plane is fueled up and the engines are running and ready to go and he says that's my probe team or something like yes, that that's yep, my yep. team and um, that just shows you how well all of them work together yes they really do yeah it's it's a uh, it's a uh... Yeah, it's 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 really nice to watch. It's um, I I, I said this a couple of episodes ago, and I'll say this again. But one might get a little worried that all the cutting back to, you know, you're, you're cutting from somewhere in Asia Minor where the main character is in a cave and everything's exploding, and then you cut to four or five people sitting in front of computers. Yeah, you think it might ruin it a little bit, but so far they're doing a really lovely job of um uh, keeping keeping it going so that when they cut back to the people the computers you know the people there are like okay they're taking care of something that needs to be done for the person who's on location and stuff like that and it's so far it works and um it's a mix of the, the the direction the set the acting the everything the music the editing and it's just so far i think it works yeah i do and, too and um so uh, i forget what episode is up next i forget who's up next on this it's Probably I'm gonna guess Bianco's up next, but I, I've I've actually forgotten. But um, do you have anything else, Mitchell? Nope, I think uh, we're good. Awesome. So let me uh, just ask you, where can we find you online? You can uh, find me at itsabouttv.com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, link to my books, old TV guides, all kinds of fun. So uh, oh, yes. be there or be square. Oh yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I would like to tell Mitchell that when we're all done talking search, I'm going to rent us a 747, and he and I are just going to – we're just going to fly around. <laughs> it's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time. I don't know. I don't know. We get, you know, I, we'll, get a, we'll get a Bossa Nova band. It'll be kick-ass. We're gonna, we're gonna, it, it'll be great. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this, and um, uh, uh, stay tuned because this is next. seeing a detective things are beginning to you thought i was gonna say heat up it's getting more complicated here and in this one marlo's um marlo's condition is at its absolute worst so he spends much of the episode hallucinating and hallucinating things he's around him in the hospital he has a brand new neighbor an old guy named george who um 
who looks a bit like a hallucination. Uh, he also hallucinates back to when he was 10 years old, growing up in the Forest of Dean with his mom, dad, and his grandparents. And he also is thinking about the singing detective and the um, government agent guy in the previous episode who picked up the two ladies of the night from the restaurant. He takes one of them, Sonia, the Russian one, home, uh, and she ends up disappearing. And Mr. Binney, who is the government, ex-government um, armed forces guy there, hires the senior detective to find her or find out who she is, what was going on with her, etc., etc., etc. So the senior detective is doing that. Uh, little little Philip is trying to live his life as a 10-year-old, and what, I guess, 50-year-old Philip is having real trouble not going crazy. Oh, and he does visit a psychiatrist. There's a lot that goes on in this episode, folks, and we'll cover most of it, but um, my, 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 my plot descriptions aren't going to be terribly helpful because it's not that kind of show. So, uh, again, spoilers, 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 spoilers. In fact, I think within the first minute or two of my discussion um, with with Madeline here about this episode, I think we give we say what the ending of the episode is. So, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Listen to this, then listen to us. Singing Detective Episode 2, Heat. And before I begin, I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Were you going to ask me the same question? May you ask me the question. The question I was going to ask is, what is this series called? The Singing Detective. What's What's the second word in the title? Singing. What did we forget to mention last time? Oh yes. Okay. This is Oh, this is my sweet wife Madeline, by the way. Hi, it's Madeline. And Georgia Dog. Thank you, George. And um, we forgot to mention they do a big uh, in the first episode. They did do a big uh, like production number singing. Uh, you know, damn bones, damn dry bones. And um, it's pretty awesome. It's it's, it's when, great. It's when Marlo is uh, going uh, going kind of cuckoo, and all the nurses and doctors begin dancing. It becomes a big shebang production number. It's a great sort of dreamlike. Uh, you know, shows Marlo's. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's having some fevered dreams. <laughs> yes, he really is. Some fevered and very well choreographed dreams. Yes, yes, and it's lovely too because it all ends with the. Um, like when when everyone's there, there's when the most stuff is happening on the screen, the camera begins to pull back, pull back, pull back, and then like everyone begins to reassemble themselves the way they were before the curtains were pulled, and the number began. The curtains get pulled behind them, and then suddenly everything's back to normal again. So, we will be seeing, I think, several things like that. This this episode, episode two, is loaded with music, not musical um, numbers per se, just just singing, music, lots yes. of singing. Very lovely. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. So, what did you think of this? Uh, this episode? Oh, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. <laughs> <I liked> it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think it's great. It gets more into uh, Marlowe's backstory, his history as a boy, and mm. his family, and we, uh, yeah, we start to see where he comes from. And yes. what I really like, it's very psychological in a way. You yeah. know, he goes to see a psychiatrist, which is a great scene. Mm. Um, and I, I, to me, it had that feeling of when you know certain facts about your life, but then your subconscious or whatever starts to weave together what that means for you. Like, mm-hmm. like you, you know things about your childhood, but in his, in his state, he's his altered state. He's starting to put together some things about his life that maybe he hadn't connected before. Because yes, he was too young, possibly. Because he was too or, young, yeah. yeah. 
How about you? What did you think of it? Oh, I love this episode. This one, um, because uh, the the first, I, I I think the first episode is a beautiful setup, and this this one by um, adding in all the stuff with his um his life developing. Uh, the the um, bringing in the singing detective actually developing the story between B- Binny and um, and uh, oh the singing detective yes and and um, uh, what's her name Sonia and the two two, two um, sinister guys mm-hmm. and then bringing in Nicola um, his his wife his ex wife yes. we don't know yet at the end of it but then she's seen fooling around with somebody in the woods uh, they seem to be having a good time. And um, but it's 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 it seems to be little Marlowe who sees that rather than rather than our grown yes, up Marlowe. Yeah, but, but a lot of things are coming. Different timelines or different times of his life yes. are collapsing into each other. And, and um, there's and there's the Philip the Philip Marlowe who's in the, in this episode he is he is uh, they say he's one hundred percent now. So it's the worst it gets is in this episode. He spends much of it hallucinating. And there's a scene in the end where he yells and rants and raves. And then the moment he's sort of caught on it, you can't quite tell. At least I couldn't quite tell his res- his response, whether he was just kind of using it as an excuse, using it as or an ex- if it was. Gen- he's such a good actor; it's yeah. really hard to tell. It's tough to tell because at the very end of the episode, and as we've said before, these are filled with spoilers. Um, but at the end, yeah, his his wife comes to visit, and he lets out a torrent of abuse at her, mm-hmm. and um, and everyone in the ward is looking at him like he's he's crazy. And the little nurse, who's always being really condescending, says, mm-hmm. "What? What are you up to? You know, what do you think you're doing?" And then his response is just, "What? Where am I? What's going on?" Yeah. And then he starts singing. Um, I was going to say "Lazy on a Sunday Afternoon," but that's Queen uh, cruising, <laughs> cruising down the river on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. afternoon. Yes, um, uh, but and and you don't quite know, yeah, if if he if he remembers having done that or if he's still. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say he's at a hundred percent right now, so anything is a. Uh, probably a hallucination for him at this point yeah he's really not in any he doesn't have his foot firmly in any one world right now yes yes and you get you get the marlowe who's 100 percent in the bed you get 10 year old philip who mm. is uh when we first see him with his family they're having a rough time with um with uh the, his dad's parents and old uh, grandpa worked in the mine all his life and has the coal dust in his lungs and is spitting up all kinds of gross stuff and mom is um Mom is not having it. Mom is uh, not. <laughs> Mom is not. She is repulsed by it because they're eating and he's yes. spitting up on the. Yeah. You know, and then. Uh, it, it is uh, unsavory. This is a bit of a rough the, scene, yeah. But his, uh, her mother-in-law just keeps asking her, whose house is this? Whose yes, house is this? Yes, over and over, yeah. And so it's rife with conflict there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, if you're a fan, if you're new to this series and you're a fan of uh, BBC shows, British shows, miniseries, you'll see so many familiar faces. Yes. It's great. I know the one who plays Philip's mom as the mom from the Pride and Prejudice, the, the series. Oh, yes, Elsa Stedman. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's in a lot of uh, Mike every- Nichols films and stuff. Yeah. And then the dad is from, uh, you'll recognize him from Downton Abbey. He plays Carson. Um, you might also Jim rec- Carter is the actor. Oh, yes. You yeah. might also recognize him from. Oh, every yeah. time Every time I see him, I think I've seen him somewhere <laughs> <That's right>. else. <laughs> and he is, of course. Deja vu. <laughs> Have we not met before, monsieur? No, I don't think so. Hmm. From Top Secret, he's deja vu. Oh my gosh, that movie <laughs> is so great. Uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, he's that, and there's a lot. Yeah, like you said, a lot of great actors, and this is the point too, where the, you know, like um, uh, uh, the guy, uh, Mark Mark Binney, there, the the ex government guy who's with Sonia, the prostitute, goes mm-hmm. to see detective. He's also in 
um, Marlowe's remembrances of his childhood, um, which presumably are set around the same time because he says the president is Harry S. Truman, That's which right. puts it around 45, 46. And so so the, the scene detective story we're watching and Philip as a little boy are taking place at the same time. One of them is fiction. Maybe both of them are fiction. Um, maybe both of them are real. Say? Yes. And, and, um, and I have to say, uh, Michael Gambon as the um, singing detective... Oh, I'm looking at him saying, who does he look like? And I thought, oh, he looks like Stephen Fry's brother. Yes. <laughs> or Count Arthur Strong mm. uh, as a young man. Yes, he's a mix. Yeah. He's... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, some, it's some scenes like when he's first singing, he looks a bit like Stephen Fry's brother. But then like as the scene goes along, he looks more like Count Arthur he Strong. <laughs> which is just pretty great. And um... If Count Arthur Strong had been a bit more lucid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um well, there's so much in the episode. He has a he has the hallucinating scene where he sees Nicola in the forest, and all the kids start coming out of the bushes towards yes. him and everything. And I was actually I actually thought of Twin Peaks. There are occasional moments when you had the water floating, oh. and you had it look like a curtain, and then yeah. his face is rising up, and then all the kids are coming out of the bushes at him. I thought it was like um, uh, John Emil, who's the director of this. I, I've seen several of his things, including the very entertaining Man Who Knew Too Little with mm-hmm. Bill Murray. Um, <laughs> but he's not really a um, a Lynch style director, uh-huh. I would call him. But here, um, and obviously this is this is not uh, eighty five, so this yeah. is four or five years before Twin Peaks. But this this has a, has a very it reminded me of that, especially when he goes into his big like hallucination, which goes on for like four or five minutes. Yes, it it almost feels like a red room, kind mm-hmm. of like curtains open. Very kind of, dreamlike. There's a lot of stuff that happens. There is a lot of stuff that happens, and, it, and it, sort of clues that are dropped, yes. like in the uh, in the in the detective story. You you have the sense you're getting clues, and even if they don't uh-huh. make sense entirely in this episode, that eventually they, they will. might. They, but they might, yes, they not might. they will, but they they, they might, might they might make sense. And not and only the... that, but that he's getting clues through mm-hmm. his fever yes. dreams and things that he might maybe he might make sense of something, or he might not. I don't know. And and then there's the there's the big sequence with the um, the psychiatrist. Yes, and that's a really great. That's I'm not sure who what that actor's name. I is, know he's but, great. Uh, he's really he's... great, and he's because uh, he has a copy of Marlowe's book, The Singing Detective, which he reads from. And somewhere in here, you may have already heard it. I'm not sure where I'm gonna put it. I wanted the paragraph he reads about sex yes. and birth that ends with "Welcome." Is <laughs> I think really fantastic. It's like the uh, it's like the anti uh, Vonnegut quote about <laughs> yes, welcoming exactly. babies. Yes, Earth. exactly. Like... <laughs> and, uh, who's that, Mister Rosewater? God bless yes. you, Mister Rosewater. Has a God damn it, kids! You've got to be kind. <laughs> this is the opposite of that. So, yeah, like the universe created you in a disgusting way. Yes, in a disgusting <laughs> luck, mess. Fuckers, yeah, good luck. Yeah. To you. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's it's a great scene because um because uh, I I I I feel like Marlowe. Marlowe probably would take some sort of help, but he's too... I mean, when you've got... When you're at the point where he's at now, where your whole body is... All your skin and everything is raging against you. Yes. I mean, I could actually... There there were there were a couple of moments when he was sitting there at the beginning waiting for the psychiatrist to come in where I felt short of breath. I felt actually claustrophobic watching Michael Gammon sit there with his hands bundled up, yes. barely being able to move his head. I, I suddenly was like, I got claustrophobic yes. watching it, watching yeah. him because his at times only oh, his, his eyes, eyes can move. Yes. It's, it's almost like he's like a mummy uh, who who hasn't been brought to life yet, but whose eyes can still look I, around. He's so or good. Like, mm. how is he able to do that? I remember. I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Yes. Will you come with me? Please, oh, let's the, do this. The, the, this is the singing detective. The canoe so these could on be clues. Yeah. Afternoon. So uh, 
so I did this two-year acting program in New York. It was a Meisner program, and part of the Meisner program is one of the sort of lessons or things that you do is you it's called an impediment so like you you choose to be blind or have a limp or you know so a speech impediment something so so you work with this so for some reason i decided i didn't want to do any of the sort of standard ones mm -hmm. so my impediment that, oh boy. <laughs> that i chose was a blinking impediment <laughs> And I was not very specific about it, which was the beginning of my <laughs> oh, downfall no. in this particular exercise. So I just did this exercise and I just blinked a whole, whole lot. <laughs> and my wonderful Meisner teacher, Mary Doyle, may she rest in peace. Uh, she was quiet at the end of the exercise. And then after about 10 seconds of silence, she said, sit down, Blinko. <laughs> 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 and I knew I was in for it. Yeah. But uh, somehow Michael Gavin made the did did Blinko. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant to do. He communicated he communicated so much with just the movement of his eyes mm. because it's all he could do. The panic, the mm. sadness, everything. It's pretty remarkable. Um, and what he was able to is his sense of humor that he was able to keep because there there yes. are couple, there there are times he's I don't, quite I don't, sharp you know yeah I, I don't think he he doesn't dislike the psychiatrist I no. think he just dislikes he dislikes where he is and the fact that he can't do anything and he doesn't no one can help him yes and, and so this this to him he'd rather sit in bed and write his stories mm -hmm. than than do this but there are a couple moments like when they discuss football briefly where it, it's it's not playful. But it almost feels like, okay, yes. you know, I, I don't think you're a douche, yeah. but look at me. Look and at me, you, I'm a freaking lobster here, I, you know? Yes, I, I get the sense, too, there are a few things the psychiatrist says that do resonate with mm -hmm. him. Like about how uh, he talks about the Bible and how, yes. you know, lepers or these skin disorders are, like that most people with skin dis disorders are on some sort of antidepressant mm -hmm. because there is this association that you've somehow brought it on yourself yes. through sin or through... Yes. And and I did you get the sense that that landed with him that he did feel there was some sort of a, it was his a, a fault bit, yeah there was because because later on later on after when at the end of the scene with his parents and his grandparents when he's kind of getting yelled at by his mom and he just over and over the ten year old Marlo then grown up Marlo just says over and over again it's all my fault yes. I did it it's all my fault exactly. I did it that's so I and, I felt like that portion of the psychiatrist even if he intellectually knows it's a disease it's not you know there there is a part of him that feels like he brought this on himself yeah and and mixed with that is the porter who has the scene which which you can see we talked about the fact that he wanted originally the hospital rooms or the 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 oh, yeah. the, the, the the room scene there to be shot on video and played more like a like an only one i laugh kind of sitcom sort of thing and there's the porter has a bit of that where he's like he's gonna impart some wisdom yes. onto marlo and he kind of sits down in the wheelchair he just brought marlo in and he's moving back and forth in the wheelchair and he tells uh, marlo the the wisdom behind uh yes. now, and what what is it that's causing well, all Marlo's problems he tells him in a very conspiratorial low tone hushed toned uh, way like this is you know the the man does not want you to know this but don't eat tomatoes <laughs> it's the tomatoes it's the tomatoes it's the it's the pips it's the pips they, they keep growing they keep and... growing inside you mm -hmm. uh it was it's such a funny moment and it i think it's so true like when you're sick i'm sure dennis dennis, dennis potter, potter yeah. uh encountered this you know people in their sometimes well-meaning ways decide to tell you what why it is that you're <laughs> yes, having this trouble yes. you know it's like don't eat tomatoes or 
Um, and then and then Marlo's face cut when out the, carbs when yeah. when uh, when the uh, when the porter leaves and Marlo's oh, yes. face ah oh, tomatoes <laughs> oh for the unrealized he's yeah. very gracious though he doesn't yes. contradict him he's like, yeah. oh well that's isn't that interesting yes um, <laughs> which now, is uncharacteristic yeah. for him yes um, so uh, uh, I I think let's let's talk uh, briefly about I guess let's talk about the detective story portion briefly let's talk about his new um, his new neighbor yes George um, yes and then let's talk about the, all the singing. Yes. Uh, the, the, the sharp, we'll do that last, but the sharp contrast between... I've already forgotten the first thing that we're talking I about. I forgot too, but I'm going to keep talking until I okay. remember. <laughs> the um, the sharp contrast between, I mean, apparently his Marlo's dad worked in the mine, and this is the 1940s when mine work was terrible, but it's what you, it's what you did. There were, there, the whole it, community it was huge. did that. But, but by the time you hit the 70s and the miners' strike began, and by the time you hit 1985 when this was made and Margaret Thatcher had closed down a lot of the mines and stuff, um, they were not, this was not a viable thing really anymore. And it doesn't affect um, uh, uh, them in the portion set in the 40s, but I'm sure that would have been on a lot of people's minds as they were watching it. Just Dad sitting there just hawking up loogies and just looking... He's probably, I mean, he's he's retired, I'm imagining, because that's the mom kind of says, like, yes. the, at our time in life. But he still looks dirty. Mm-hmm. He still looks like he has coal dust on his face. Mm-hmm. And um, and the contrast between that scene, which is just, again, it's very claustrophobic, with the scene in the local club or whatever where the dad is singing and the mom is playing yes. piano is so lovely. But we're going to go to the first thing, which I just remembered, is let's talk about the detective story. Just oh, yes. real quick to where, where it's going to. So Sonia and Binny... Um, have sex. Mm-hmm. There's a scene with um, with Benny trying to sort of humiliate Sonia, but she's she's got she's, she's not got, having it. She's, she's on it. Just not having it. She's on it. She she tears fifteen pounds. They negotiate very yes. uh, aggressively, and she gets her way and gets fifteen pounds, and then she proceeds to eat it. Eat it. <laughs> Literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> and spits it out at him. Spits it out at him. Yeah. Um, uh, I expected after all that sort of rough, for, you know, that negotiation for mm-hmm. them to have some pretty hot sex, but it was pretty uh, pretty routine. Lackluster. It was pretty routine. It was, um, yeah. and even even when Benny was done, and after, and Sonia's got a look on her face like, "Wow, are you wrap, wrapping it up? Yeah. Wrap it up? Wrap mm-hmm. it up here?" Um, even he he stands up afterwards. He goes, "Okay, we got that out of the way. Yeah. Now let's talk about this." <laughs> and they begin to discuss why she's there, and they see the two. Um, mysterious guys. Yes. Who? It's funny those mysterious guys because they they show up not mysterious but as coal miners mm-hmm. in, the, in a little club. I don't, it's not a club. It's where the coal miners go it's to relax like, after. Yeah, the, it's like a little community community um, uh, center. Like yes, in in um, in a uh, little in, club. Yeah, in Marlowe's uh, home, which is in the Forest of Dean, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I'll talk about briefly. Although I don't know as much as I should. I should have looked up more about it uh, in a bit. I've always said that to you. The for- Yeah, I didn't look up the Forest of Dean. I wrote it down have there. Known enough about the Forest. The of Forest Dean. of Dean. It's quite beautiful. And it lush is gorgeous. Great trees for yeah, climbing. Yeah. Um, for spying on for people. For spying on people, yeah. Pervs. <laughs> A bunch of pervs. Uh, and so, yeah, so Benny and Sonia disappears, and apparently they they find her body in the water, mm-hmm. uh, naked, and uh, um, and Benny goes to the singing detective to, to help him. To help um, him out. Help him find her, or find out who these two guys are. Mm-hmm. And the two guys uh, do show up at Benny's house in the end, and... Um, it's it's they are they are threatening, but they're also a little goofy looking. They have a bit they of um, like a comedy team. Yeah, you're not sure if they're gonna beat them down or do a musical number. Yeah, or exactly. maybe both. Exactly. Know. You we'll know, find they might. Out. They, and speaking of breaking into musical numbers, we meet the neighbor, his new neighbor. We do, George. Neighbor, George, um, who comes in with his wife. Comes with his wife, who um, 
has had enough of George. <laughs> she has. She, she has. has. He's quite abusive. Uh, he doesn't want to get his pajamas on. I mean, he does have a good point. He's like, I'm not wearing my pajamas now. Why should I put my pajamas yes. on to be here in the ward? But he moves into Ali's old bed. Yes. And, and his wife, to calm him down, slaps him. Yes. <laughs> and advises the nurses to do the yes. same. Yes. And that moment, the little heartbreaking moment with, um, just give him a slap. That'll stop him. You know, he's not strong enough to hit you back. Not Aww. now, anyway. Because he's very like he's very upset, and then he when she slaps him, he starts crying. And, yes. Oh, it's very sad. And then and then when the doctor comes and does the reflex thing on his oh, knees, he's great. like, you're, you're, "Oh, you hit me! <laughs> Hammers on my knees! No, sir, no one hit you." He see, and George seems very unresponsive when the doctor comes and is <laughs> asking good. him to follow his finger, and the doctor keeps saying, "Follow my finger," and finally George says, "Why?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> why? Why should I do that? And yeah. so so um. Uh, yeah, George, uh, Marlo, unfortunately, at this point, unlike with Allie, is he's too, he can't, he can't, he's all inside his own mind yes. at this moment, so he doesn't really, he tries to get George's attention at one point, and what happens? George starts singing at him. George starts singing at him, that's does right. He, is it, does he do Might As Well Be Spring? That's when they break. Yeah, I think. that's Could, right, it starts with Might As Well Be Spring. Uh that's right. I've, I forgot that already. We just watched it about eight minutes ago. <laughs> there, are two, there, are two, there are literally too many things that go on. But That's it's, what... Yeah, it's really a jam-packed episode. But yes, George turns toward him. You're not sure what's going to happen. And then he starts singing in a lovely... I feel so gay in a, in a melancholy, melancholly way. way. And it might as well be spring. It might as well be spring. Lovely. lovely song and and that, from that point we segue to his dad singing that in the community center that's right and his and mom, mom is playing piano and the crowd the crowd loves it they're all you could you hear them singing along and Phillips in the back wide-eyed eating, yes. eating chips and just potato chips and crisps and um and just like uh, uh just like just absolutely loving watching his dad and mom it's like there. the kind of scene where even though you know what a rough life it must be you immediately think or I immediately thought, I want to go live there. <laughs> yes, yes. You think like when they leave there and they have to go back to the house and deal with grandma and grandpa, things are going to be rough again. But boy, for those few They're songs. Just sitting and listening to music and they the love. And loves it. And, and it's just, and, and the one guy, yeah, comes over and, mm -hmm. and, and tells him, oh, your dad, his name should be up in lights. He shouldn't be That's here. That's right. But pushing coal around. He yeah. should, should be up in lights. You remember. And his mom's a beautiful pianist. Yes. Uh, so I, cu I couldn't quite catch the piece she's playing. Oh, the cla more classical piece? Yes. Yes, I didn't. Is I can check Rock the subtitles to see. Yeah, I, but, I, um, so we had to put the subtitles on when uh, Grandma and Grandpa were talking because that um, forced of Dean accent is, yes. um, is a bit impenetrable. It's actually... Faint and now... Yeah, the dialect is actually specific to that one home. It's that specific. <laughs> yes, and it, and, it becomes, <laughs> and it becomes the younger you go in that home, it's like... The less specific, the the more English the accent yes. becomes. So by the time you get to mom, who I presume is younger than her husband mm -hmm. and, and grandma and grandpa, she's speaking English you can recognize. Mm -hmm. and, and Philip's kind of in between the yeah. two. But but boy, when you get up to the parents and they're talking, yes. it's like two sentences in. I put the subtitles on just you so did. we could. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of jawing about plum jam. I'll tell plum, you that. There's much. a se sequence, yeah, where they talk about plum jam and. Too much even... skin on a plum to yes. make jam. So... Give him strawberry jam any yes. day of the week. Yes. They have a lot of strong feelings about, about jam. jam. Yes, and mm -hmm. 
but yeah, the scenes, the scenes in the community center, I absolutely love, and they, they do bring the tears to my eyes, like when um, yes. watching his dad and when his dad comes over, and they're just, you know, what do you think of that, Philip? And, and Philip's got, uh, you know, uh, you know, all right, mm-hmm. and they're just sitting there eating chips together and smiling, and the yeah. mom plays, and that look dad has on his face, yes. that that sad, heartbreaking look, and oh. I look at him and think, I've seen you do that face before. I'm kidding. <laughs> Deja vu. Deja vu. And chocolate mousse. Chocolate mousse. <laughs> This is not Mel Torme. Yes, I'm Albert Potato. <laughs> I gotta watch that movie again. Uh, maybe I'll watch that this evening. We watch it this evening. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. I, yeah, I know a little German. Oh, He's and, over there. And Latrine. 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 Other... Latrine. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, uh, so we'll, we'll wrap this up with... Um, I, I, I absolutely I my uh, the the heartbreaking moment for me is just that moment when it his dad is doing has finished doing the birds yes that's and then right it, he does and bird then calls it's funny because right near the end of that we've got um, bird we got birds around here where we live we do L- luckily we're not in a you know no bird zone we aren't and we have two birds which I think are pigeons but I'm calling love birds and they've been making a nest um, on yeah. our our patio uh, um, and uh, right at the end of the bird song one of them started doing like the so as he was finishing his and you could hear like a cuckoo noise all of a sudden I started hearing oh I didn't hear that I always think they sound a little bit like is it the good the bad and the ugly that Oh yeah, they, yeah. The theme, the Mark they almost theme. have. I, I always feel a little foreboding when I hear them singing. Yeah. I'm like, that's lovely, and I've got a slight uh, chill. Um, and and then right after the um the the sequence with the dad doing the birds, it cuts back to young Philip, and young Philip isn't there anymore, and it's old Philip. Yes. And there's just a great moment where everyone's applauding and clapping, and Philip with his big smile on his face raises his fists and can't clap can't for his clap. dad because he can't un. He can't, he can't unclench he can't, his, he can't his fists. And the guy who came up earlier and talked to him about how when he was little, your dad should be in lights, begins talking about now how his dad's dead. And uh, Michael Gammon's reactions to that always, oh. uh, always just break my heart. Yes. It's like, he, can, he, can't, he can't be, be dead. He he can't, I've got be. so much I have to say to him. Yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, it that's always... the part I mean about him working out these, these yes. things, you know? Because don't you, I mean, haven't you had dreams like that where. Mm-hmm. It's so real that you're with someone who's yes. gone, and yeah, it, it was. It really it broke my heart too. Yeah, uh, and he, and I. I will say the the one thing, and this is technically maybe if they put out a Blu-ray of this one day, they'll be able to fix this. But there is a moment when it cuts. It it keeps cutting from Philip sitting there, you know, all in horrible, horrible shape with his fists, cutting back to the guy who's talking to him, and then. You can tell the shot when they're going to pull back and they've emptied the place because his makeup looks slightly different. It does, yeah. So it's kind of gone from bright red to almost like um, almost like a gray mm-hmm. or something or an olive color or yeah. something like that. I don't know if it's the, it's probably the lighting. Probably the lighting. Just because the, the room was filled with like 100 people yeah. and all this stuff and now it's empty and it's mm-hmm. just him. So, But I, it, that doesn't ruin anything. But, no. but the moment that happens, you know the scene is, is over. Um, it's like you know that thing we would uh, like whenever we'd watch Dallas and we try to guess what the closing freeze frame was going to be yes. used on Jeff, and you could tell because that's when the credit came up and the quality of the shot mm-hmm. is deteriorates because it's second generation compared to the show. that. That's what this is sort of like. I love that scene. Then when it cuts to that, I'm like, oh, it's over. Because mm. I just I just think that's a great mm. scene. The, the moment, and, and of course you have so many questions. What happened to his mom? What happened to his dad? Why yes. is he yell at his wife, ex wife, whoever like yeah. this? 
Um, and that's why you turn in for the next. That's why you turn for chapter. lovely days. Lovely is the next days. one. You hear his teacher, who will be important in mm. school, who will be important in the next few episodes. And there is something that's um, a bit of a spoiler that's in the closing credits. Mm-hmm. A name in the closing credits. We won't say what it is. But when you see that name, you think, "Wait a minute, where? Who? Who now? Yeah. So unless what, unless you know the actor." then you probably, you're not going to know who it was. Mm-hmm. I know who it was because I've seen the thing all the way through. Um, but uh, it is it, it makes something interesting is going to happen with that, but not here. Um, so that is episode two of Singing the Detective. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. There's so much that happens. There's so much. It's a great episode. Yeah. The Singing Detective. Does he, he uses the term Warp and Woof. Warp and Woof. Which is great, which is a Guided by Voices album from mm. 2019. Great album. Um, when he's talking to Benny and he's just... Um, uh, he's he's got a roundabout way of getting to uh, getting to let Benny sort of tell him yeah what's going on. <laughs> I didn't come here to take this abuse, that's you know. Like, oh no, that's that, free of charge. Free of charge. <laughs> that's right. And he, doesn't he say I, I'll have no problem paying you? And he mm. said, well, but you don't uh, you don't know how much I'm going to ask for. I'm yeah. not as cheap as I look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, um, got a nice turn of phrase, that guy. Yes, yes. It was. It's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty nice. I, I really, whenever I see the copy of the singing detective on the desk of the of the psychiatrist, I always want to read it. Yes. I always think, what what could that? I mean, he's a smart guy, so I bet it's uh, whether or not he's a good writer, I don't mm-hmm. know. But he he's a smart guy, so I imagine it's a decent detective yeah. story. I like the concept, mm-hmm. and presumably so. As the... a writer, what did you think of the psychiatrist session when he's asking him the questions about what would you? Write or oh, what? Yes. How how did that land with you as as a writer? Oh well, as as a, as a writer, the 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 things I used to write, the novels, the mm-hmm. scripts, the thing that's the stuff I really love writing, and I've sort of converted that into the kind of stuff I write now, like the reviews and things that mm-hmm. I do now, and even like podcasting stuff. I try to make it as much me as is possible. Although at the end, I do prefer telling stories, mm-hmm. creating characters, dialogue. Stuff like that. And I like my reviews, I always say, like with my reviews, I always try to have a beginning, a middle, and an end mm-hmm. to them. Which is why, like, say my action filled book, when sometimes the copy editor would remove bits of the ending, <laughs> you'd get like my, I would say, what is it, the Masters of the Universe review? Where it starts off with, um, everyone says, has always said, I, it's, it's better than this, folks, but it's something like, you know, everyone always says that this film is a dud and it stinks and it, it's, it's not worth the time. But it was like Canon Films most expensive film that they made up until the one they made that bankrupted them that I, I couldn't can't remember the name but it was a huge film so does it deserve that reputation let's find out and then the whole review is there and then when I, when I got the final um, copy of the book and it had already been laid in place and I was told you can't add anything apart from you know changing a word or two mm-hmm. I found out the copy editor had removed the final paragraph <laughs> so the final paragraph where I answer the question in the opening paragraph is gone mm. so you read the review and then it just stops it makes you just seem mysterious it makes me seem this mysterious this guy asks questions he can't answer <laughs> on more than one occasion though, when someone's written to me and said they like the book I will send them copies of original oh nice the, the original and say here's the original Master of the Universe I do answer the question I ask in the beginning mm-hmm. Not. It's uh, being mysterious is fun, but uh, I did, you know, I did have an answer or what I thought, my opinion. What was your answer? I don't remember. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think Master. The, I think the problem I have with Master of the Universe is just that it starts off in Eternia. I forget exactly where uh, He Man and all of them are, and then it comes to our world for most of it, and then it goes back there for a big battle in the end. And while most of the stuff on Earth is fun and it has our favorite. Um, 
Dallas from uh 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 or from oh, Cobra. Uh, oh, um J- James uh, Tolkien? Is yes. That, yes. He's in it. He's I mm-hmm. think he's a cop or detective or something. And it's while it's all a lot of fun, it actually feels a bit like um they spent all the money for the opening and closing scenes, and I was like, we can't set the whole movie in Eternia. Well, why don't we just put it on the streets of L.A.? You got it. That so it, it, it does have a bit of a feel like the middle of the movie is building towards getting out of the middle <laughs> of the movie. Um, but it, it's, fun to, it's fun to watch, and Dolph mm-hmm. Lundgren is a good He-Man, and, and um, Frank Langella is a kick-ass skeleton. Oh, I love Frank so. Langella. So that's uh, our He-Man chat. Hey, He-Man. More in common than you think with the singing yes, detective. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I like that when he asked him about what he he'd write because yeah, I know like the yeah the stories I've written and, and the, yeah. creating the characters and things. That's what I'd that's what I'd really like to be mm-hmm. uh, writing. But I've been able to sort of mold the other things mm-hmm. I write in that direction yeah. as much as I can. And you so, ain't dead yet. And I ain't dead yet, Jack. No way, no way, no how. So. um I think that's about it, huh? For I think so. I mean, there's yeah. a lot to it. You'll really enjoy this episode, I think. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. And we need to find out where where the word porcelain comes from. That's right. Because Benny begins to Benny's one of those kind of jerky guys who, you know, these people who just they ask you the questions they know the answers to, so they mm. feel all smart. Whereas if I could ask you say um what's my dog's middle name? I know what it is. Yes. And you say and you, you and if you were to say to me Hey, what's my dog's middle name? Eh, how would you know? How would you know? Yeah, and he does that twice. Kipling with women and cigars. That's right. And then what does porcelain mean? Oh, how would you know? How would you know? And she probably does know. She probably does actually. know. And she's laughing at him. Like, I know, I know. Just, I know. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, she, she always has a yeah. cop, copy of Kipling hidden somewhere in her body. that's if you pay 20 pounds you get to find that book oh boy yeah the episode does get a bit naughty here and there folks it's a grown up episode it's not like the Planet of the Apes episode that we talked about or the search episode this is for grown ups this one has sexual sex in it (laughs) this one has sexy sexual sex (laughs) sexy sexual sex so look out look out and two two guys um, spending a long time looking at a painting of a, a topless woman they do yeah Oh. And Benny just kind of looks at it going, it's a portrait, it's, it's a painting, it's you a hang painting. it on the wall, it decorates a house. Right, it's, hey, like in the, uh, it's like in the Vatican when they went around cutting all the junk off all the statues. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's a room in the basement of the Vatican with a bunch of genitalia for a while. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so I think we'll wrap it up with that. Let's wrap it up with genitalia yeah. in the basement. Yeah. Junk S- in the so this episode yeah ends with marlo yelling at nicola and then sort of getting caught out and then it, it actually ends with him looking at the camera and saying that's all, folks. that's all folks and then it does the um porky pig sort of uh looney Abadee, tunes iris Abadee, Abadee. iris in and then it goes to black and, and the episode gone. ends so he brings us into the uh yeah uh, the end of the episode. i do think this episode gives you a really good sense of how alone he's felt yes. so much of his life mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's leave on that. Let's lonely. leave on that. Hey, everybody, thanks for lonely, listening. Lonely, lonely, loneliness and genitalia in the basement. <laughs> of the Vatican. Yeah, of the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Of the Vatican. Mm-hmm. What you hiding in your basement, Catholic <laughs> Church? A lot of balls that and joke? things like that. <laughs> Walnut and ween. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. We're gonna we'll sign off. Thank you again for joining me, sweet. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, sir. And, and we'll be back next episode with lovely days. That's all, folks. Fart.
and that was episode 103 everyone thank you so much for listening i did uh i did want to point out that i i forgot to mention that uh, obviously dennis potter wrote seeing the detective I, f- I forgot to say that uh but the the search episode was written by leslie stevens a uh, moon rock and it was written uh directed by william wyard and aired uh 10th of no it didn't it aired uh october 4th 1972 i was gonna say the 10th of april but no that would be uh october 4th 1972 I don't know why I forgot to say that. But anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com is the site. Let's see. Is it um, uh, at eSupertrain1 on Twitter? Eventually, Supertrain on Facebook. Uh, you'll run uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're, you're listening to it. That's where we are. And that is the end of this episode. We will be back next time. The, the journey on the planet of the apes continues. Um, your guess is as good as mine, which uh, probe agent is up next. And um, seeing the detective is just going to get better and better. And I would actually like to close out with uh, a, an aforementioned moment um, from the seeing detective with psychiatrist reading to Marlowe from his book, The Singing Detective. Talk to you next time. Be good yourselves, everyone. Be safe. Now listen to this. A purple passage. Now a blue one, I hope. Mouth sucking wet and slack at mouth. Tongue chafing against tongue. Limb thrusting upon limb. Skin rubbing at skin. Oink, oink. The faces contort and stretch into a helpless leer. Organs spurt out smelly stains and sticky betrayals. Oink, oink. This is the sweaty farce out of which we are brought into being. We are implicated without choice in the slippery catastrophe of the copulations which splatter us into existence. We are spat out of fevered loins. We are the by-blows of grunts and groans and pantings in a rumpled and creaking bed. Welcome.